Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer, the greatest tag team wrestler of all time, Bully Ray and I talk all about NXT TakeOver 31, especially the main event between Finn Balor and Kyle O'Reilly, which I think is a match of the year candidate. Also, we sit down with Ken Shamrock. That's right, the legend Ken Shamrock, just weeks before his induction into the Impact Wrestling Hall of Fame at Bound for Glory. All that right now on the Busted Open Podcast. Unbelievable match between Kyle O'Reilly and Finn last night, Bully. Yep, pretty damn freaking good if you ask me. Uh, I mean... If you remember last week, I said I'd give them 45 with entrances. Mm-hmm. I think they gave them 40 with entrances, and they went about a half an hour. Yep. Strong, strong match. Real, I mean, can't say enough good. Here's the only thing that I was a little disappointed to hear about when it came to O'Reilly and Finn Balor. There was words coming out or news coming out after the event that that one of them might have had a broken jaw and one of them had some missing teeth or something like that, Dave? Help me out here. Well, uh, Triple H did a conference call right after NXT TakeOver 31, and he said that both Finn and Kyle O'Reilly were being medically evaluated. And I know when it came to Finn Balor, it was something with his jaw. As far as the extent of the injury, I do not know. And Kyle, all I know, all that's been confirmed is that they were both medically evaluated, but I haven't heard anything as far as anything significant. But as you saw at the end of that match, there was blood coming out of both Finn and Kyle O'Reilly's mouth at the end of that match. In this art form that is known as professional wrestling, That stuff is not supposed to happen. They were working a very, very snug, aggressive style. And I know it's not ballet. And I know shit happens. It's happened to me. I've done it to others. Mistakes happen. I don't know if there was mistakes in that match. I think those guys were working so aggressively that they wound up banging each other up pretty good. And that's not supposed to happen because when you have a match like that, you want to be able to come on TV the next night or in this case, Wednesday night and talk about it and not be on the shelf. Who knows? Maybe maybe one of them can't appear on Wednesday. I don't believe that's going to happen. But what if one of the injuries was worse because they were working entirely too aggressive or too snug, even into the realm of stiff, and then wound up hurting one another so bad that they weren't able to appear? Case in point, did Bret Hart ever 
dislocate somebody's jaw, break somebody's jaw, hit them so hard that they missed it, are, uh, are, are missing a tooth. No, I mean, Bret Hart took very, a lot of pride in the fact that he never hurt anyone in the ring. And how did Bret Hart's stuff look in the ring? About as real as real could be. And that is the art form. So what I'm saying is, if last night an accident happened in, in <clears throat> to both guys, just because your adrenaline's running high and, you know, you know something slips in, okay. But if you guys are working so freaking snug that, you know, tooths are getting loosened up and jaws are getting dislocated or broken, you got to back it down a notch. And this is where I go back to matches like Misawa versus Kawada from uh, All Japan in 94, where these guys can work such a snug style, but stay incredibly safe. One of the things I always talk about and I teach young wrestlers is throwing the fastball. If you can throw 90 miles an hour, but not throw it for a strike, it's useless. If you can throw 80 for a strike, you're worth a lot more to me. And then we can work up to 90. Meaning, listen, O'Reilly and Finn are great at what they do, especially Finn. I mean, O'Reilly's up there, but I think very highly of Finn because I got to see him work in New Japan back in the day. Um, I got to be in the ring with him in New Japan back in the day and seeing what he's evolved into. First Universal Champion, now in NXT, yada, yada. Um you got to be able to control everything. Like, like those forearm shivers to the head and, and, and punches and kicks. You got to be able to throw them as hard and fast, but most importantly, as safe as possible. So, so hopefully everybody's okay. Hopefully they're on TV on Wednesday. Hopefully they, they keep moving forward. Everybody got over last night, especially in that match. And yeah, good job, good, good job by both men. Can't, can't say enough nice things, good things about that match. Hey everyone, this is Lisa Ann, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. This is my chance to share with you my experiences, past and present, including how I went from living in the fantasy world of adult films to talking fantasy sports on Sirius XM. Each week, I'll introduce you to some of the people I've met on my journey and invite friends on to help me read through the endless ridiculousness that lands in my inbox. New episodes are available every Wednesday on the Sirius XM app and Apple Podcasts. Let's get into what we just saw last night. You mentioned the main event and the, the snug physical wrestling that we saw out of Finn Balor and Kyle O'Reilly. I actually thought going into last night that we might see a new world champion. I was actually talking to our producer, Ed Robinson, yesterday, and I thought we were going to see a new champion. Were you surprised that Finn retained, or were you expecting a Finn Balor win last night? Uh, I. I'm not surprised. If either thing would have happened, I wouldn't have been shocked. I saw some people on the old Twitter machine responding to the show last night saying, uh, no title changes, no title changes. I didn't like the, the show because there was no title changes. Man, I don't know why you have to have a title change for the show to be good. Like, everything I saw last night was super, super solid. Maybe one or two tiny things here and there that we could nitpick, but 
you know, maybe we will throughout the show, but not nearly enough for me to be, uh, you know, uh, upset or not entertained or anything like that. So, no, the 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 title not changing hands because now they got now now they got some legs to this. Maybe let O'Reilly chase Finn a little bit more. I could definitely see a rematch. Hey, those guys did such a great job last night. I could see a best of seven between them. Now, whether or not the WWE or NXT decides to go down that route, I have no idea. But there's certain guys and gals that have have such great chemistry and give us such a good match that, you know, yep, I'd pay to see them a couple of more times. One of the things that I do at the Team 3D Academy is like two younger wrestlers will have a match. All of the other wrestlers watch. And at the end of the match, I'll say, okay, how many people would pay to see that match again? We'll see how many people put up their hands. That tells me everything I need to know. Would you pay to see Kyle O'Reilly versus Finn Balor again? Yes. Boom. Then give it to us. That, that's all I need. I was entertained. I enjoyed the match. And I would pay money to see it again. That match checked all of the boxes. I was not unhappy that, that there was no title change in that match. And I was not unhappy that there weren't any other title changes last night. And if, you know what? If you really look back at it and kind of analyze it a little bit more, it makes sense. Kyle O'Reilly, not that long ago, bully, we were talking about him being like in the shadow of Adam Cole. Now, all of a sudden, he's in a main event at TakeOver. He's a main eventer now. You look at Kyle O'Reilly completely different after last night. Shane Strickland, you know, Swerve Scott, somebody that I've been very, very high on for a long time. Kind of been lost in the sauce, but he had that amazing match with Escobar last night. Now you're looking at Shane Strickland. This guy's a future champion. You know, Io Shirai showed further dominance. And now, after last night, that women's division in NXT has gotten a hell of a lot more stronger. So you need a dominant champion like you see in Io Shirai. And Damian Priest just takes another step forward each and every time he's in the ring. So when you really analyze those title matches, even though there were no title changes, and I know fans like to see title changes, it makes sense that every champion retained last night. It was so hard for me to pick a favorite match last night just because I enjoyed everything. Mm-hmm. But I did find myself strangely more invested in Strickland and Escobar and Kushida and Velveteen Dream than I was the main event. I don't know why. I loved the main event, but there was something about those other two matches where I was just like, wow. I, I just found myself immersed in them a little bit more. And I can what understand a, that. What a night for Kushida. What oh a goodness. night for Kushida. And oh, my goodness. Once again, this is a guy much like Finn that I have seen over the years, you know, perform together with him on shows and, you know, see him come up in New Japan. Knew what he was in New Japan. Then you see him come over to NXT. Not really the same guy. A couple of injuries kind of put on the back burner. But last night was definitely a coming out party for, for Kushida. I mean, what a performance, massive intensity, you know, taking it to Dream, beating Dream strong, and then taking it to him after the match. So Kushida is definitely back on the map 
after last night. Phenomenal performance. Yeah, and Kushida, even with New Japan, you know, he had the whole Marty McFly gimmick, the Back to the Future thing. Like, seeing Kushida go over strong like he did last night and aggressive, even after the victory, going back after Velveteen Dream. I mean, that's a side of Kushida that we have not seen since he's come to NXT. And you mentioned the Escobar-Strickland match. That match was absolutely phenomenal. And really, you know, a lot of people know Shane Strickland, Swerve Scott from what he's done outside of NXT, you know, his time with MLW. That's a guy, too, that I have a lot of respect for because he's somebody like MVP, where MVP is just like, I want to be everywhere and do absolutely everything. You know, pro- professional wrestling is an art form to me, so I want to be everywhere and do everything. That's That was kind of like Shane Strickland before going to NXT. He wanted to go, I mean, this, I mean, uh, Shane Strickland was doing death matches for crying out loud on the indie scene because he just wanted to prove to everybody he could do everything. That was one hell of a match and a showcase for him. And another match that we haven't got into was, you know, Damian Priest and, and Johnny Gargano. You know, John, that's freaking Johnny Gargano out there. And Damian Priest beat him and beat him strong. Again, you're looking at Damian Priest completely different than before you looked at him before takeover last night, Bully. I don't know what what to say uh, about each match other than I enjoyed them and I thought they were either good or great. Uh, I, I really enjoyed everything. Now, the opening match, I will I do have a little bit of a critique. Okay. I would like Damian Priest to not to stop working to other guys' size and make other guys work up to his size. Like you just said, like, oh my God, Damian Priest beat Johnny Gargano. Beast is, Priest is a monster compared to Gargano. He's physically much more impressive, but we're talking about Gargano as if he's six foot five and not Priest. Yeah. Maintain your size. I said the same thing about Keith Lee. I thought Keith Lee came off his feet entirely too much in NXT. Why? Because these were much smaller guys he was working against. I'm not saying don't bump for the smaller guys. I'm saying work smart and a psychologically sound match where these guys have to chop you down, get to you. So I want to see Priest work up to that real that 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 large stature and make guys work up to him and make them earn every time he comes off their feet. He comes off his he- feet. You know, what's funny. It, it was almost like you're watching like a football game. And the fact that like the beginning of that match with Gargano and Priest, what you're saying, Bully, was so evident at the beginning of that match. Like he was really playing down to Gargano's size instead of Gargano trying to play up to Damian Priest's size. But it's almost like a coach got into Damian Priest's ear somewhere during that match because it completely changed. Like if you go back and watch the beginning of that matchup, it almost looks odd because here's Johnny Gargano like punching him in like the stomach and Priest is like bent over. It's like, what are you doing? And it's almost like somebody got into his ears like, what the fuck you doing, dude? Like you're Damian Priest, like you're six in a million and Johnny Gargano's five and something. So I almost felt like that match last night, a light bulb went went on in Damian Priest's head. There are certain times where um, I'm, I'm just going to use myself as an example just to, to paint a picture here. If I'm working with, if I'm working with a guy like Gargano, right? Mm-hmm. I will come off my feet at the right time 
for the right move because you build it up. It's like building to a hot tag. It's like building to a comeback. You build to that first bump. So that bump means more. And now on commentary, they're talking about, man, as great as Johnny Gargano is, he can't get Priest off his feet. Gargano's throwing everything he possibly can, but Priest is six foot four. He's 250 pounds, whatever. And this is taking, you know, and he's sucking all the offense out of Johnny Gargano. Now you build to that first bump and it means something. And now Priest can start bumping a little bit more throughout the match. But when you're coming off your feet that early, it doesn't make sense. Make them earn it. This goes for anybody. And now once Gargano earns Priest coming off his feet for the first time, now you see the look in Johnny's eyes like, ah, okay, I finally got him. I finally got him. Now I'm going to go after him. You, everything should be built to in wrestling. Everything. That's why the greatest thing to start off with is a lockup. Because when you start off with a lockup, you can build to anything else. When you see guys punching and chopping and this and that, to me, it makes no sense. It's like when guys blow a comeback in tag team matches, Dave. When back in the day, let's take let's take 80s old school. Let's take the rock and roll versus the midnight. Mm-hmm. When Ricky Morton gave Robert Gibson the, the hot tag, what was the very first thing you saw Robert Gibson come in and do? What was the offense you would see him use? You, you would see him come in with his fists. Punch, 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 punch. And then he built from there. Then maybe a clothesline. Then maybe a drop kick. Then maybe a backdrop. Meaning start with punches because everybody can relate to punches. Don't come in with, with top rope springboards. Don't come in with uh, uh, ranas and all these other moves. Start with punches. Start whacking mother effers in the face and then build up to the moves my point is anything and everything that you do in a wrestling match should be built up to so it means something when you get there hey everyone this is nicole auerbach and i want to invite you inside the coaches clubhouse a brand new podcast from sirius xm that examines what drives coaches on and off the sidelines we talk to coaches from all different sports and all walks of life about their passion for the profession their mentors philosophies and stories and also what they care about when they're outside the spotlight we'll give you a unique perspective on some of the greats in their profession from olympic coaches to super bowl champions and everyone in between new episodes out every wednesday on the sirius xm app pandora and apple Podcasts. Ken Shamrock, who joins us right now here on Busted Open. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good. I'm great. Thank you. How are you guys all doing? We're great, We're Ken. good. Good, good. Well, talk about this documentary. Talk about the, you know, this documentary, the origins of the UFC, and talk about, like, the beginning days of MMA in the UFC. Yeah, I mean, uh, anytime that's brought up, I get excited because it was really a, a dawn of a new age when you talk about what we were used to seeing when it came to self-defense, uh, mixed martial arts, or even combat. Uh, we used to see in kickboxing, boxing, um, a lot of rules, a lot of regulations. There's things you could or could not do. Uh, I was fighting over in Japan, which was pretty wild because it, it was mixed martial arts like it is now, not the no holes barred like it was in the beginning days of the UFC. 
So when I went into that and a lot of other guys went into that, other than the Gracie's, because they've been planning this for their whole life to be able to expose their style to the world. Um, so they've been preparing for this kind of event for a long time. Whereas the rest of us who came into this already had roadblocks in our head of like, what is no holes barred? Is it like pro wrestling, Hulk Hogan, eat your vitamins, slam a chair over somebody's head and, you know, all these things. But when you actually went into it and you started seeing the fighting, it was like, whoa, like this is really happening. I mean, Gerard Godot, a football kicked a sumo guy in the face while he was on the ground. But if you watch that fight very carefully, Gerard Godot allows the guy to run into the fence, basically mash his face himself, 400 pounds or however much, into the fence. As Gerard Godot steps to the side, he goes falling into the fence. And then Gerard Godot has to think for a minute whether or not he can kick him in the face or not. He's like, uh, oh, I can kick him. Wham! Kicks him. So that's what it was like for everyone in the locker room was whether or not we knew how to break through these barriers of who we were as fighters within this, this body sanctioned body of rules that we were normal used to now going into a fight to where you're told that anything goes and your mind won't let her, literally won't let your body react to those kind of rules. So it took some time for it to really be able to sink into people who were used to fighting with these these boundaries and these rules to literally go in there and do these kind of fights. But it was awesome to be able to see the origins and the, the beginnings of some of these fighters who helped pave the way for what we have today to really get recognition on how this thing really started, because there's no homage have been paid to, especially in the, the UFC nowadays, that has not been paid to the earlier fighters, the guys that started the whole things, the people that actually brought this, this, this magnificent fighting venue to the United States. None of it is, is recognized in what we have called today the UFC. Ken, other than the, the rules uh, that you said you guys had to get used to, for better or for worse, what is the biggest difference between the world of mixed martial arts that you first started in and the world of mixed martial arts today? Well, first of all, I would say probably the, the exact same things, which is the no rules. Uh, there was a lot of fights that, especially that I did, there was two of them that I did that went to draws, even though I won those fights. You know, I mean, it would beat the crap out of the guys that I fought and their face showed it. But because of those times, there was no judges. Either you went the full distance, which they put in the 30 minute time limit. Uh, even if you, you beat the guy, you didn't get the you didn't get the win because it was still declared a draw as opposed to today where there's judges and you'd be able to go to a certain distance. And then now you have judges that will decide that good or bad, whether you liked it or don't like it. And I would also say with the way that the rules are now being put in place too. It's it turns into the same thing as we always see when it's pure and the fighters get to decide it. There isn't much controversy. It's usually decided. Right. As opposed to when now it starts to get regulated, they humanize it. Um, and then you put in other people that will decide those fights. There's always going to be controversy and people thinking that's not the way I saw it. 
Um, so yeah, I think those are the biggest things as opposed to when we, when I fought in the very beginning, as opposed to now is just really the rule sets. And now of course we actually have judges to decide who wins and loses a fight. You know, when it comes to the world of pro wrestling, there's a lot of ebbs and flows of popularity. I think we're seeing that in the world of UFC and MMA. You know, the early days, it was this this curiosity of what exactly this is. And then there was like that boom period about nine or 10 years ago when it was definitely the hottest thing. Now I feel like it's kind of fallen into a, a bit of a groove. You know, how do you feel about the ebbs and flows of you know, the UFC right now? Yeah, um, again, when you when you try to regulate and control something, uh, there's only so much that you're able to do to entertain your fans. Uh, Back in the day, we had characters and we had all kinds of people with their different styles and and different ways of talking and different ways of of fighting. Um, You know, then once they start to come in and regulate it, everybody starts training the same way. So now you've got strikers and grapplers. They're all the same. There's not style against style. Um, And I think, too, that when you talk about – them taking away sponsorships, making everybody have to go uniformed. Um, you're literally taking away opportunities for fighters to be able to develop their own characters, their own interests, their own sponsorships, their own way of being able to react to interviews. Um, they're, they're, they're corralling them in because they're afraid if they go over the line, they're going to lose sponsorships or they're going to lose TV time. Uh, but I've always said that's what makes fighting not just the fighting part, but for the fans and the entertainment side is for the fighters to be able to make or break their careers, which means they either follow the rules and or they don't follow the rules. But you can't be God. You can't say these are our rules and everybody has to follow these and we're going to make sure you do that. Whereas that's taken away the characters of some of these guys, which makes fans want to watch. Um, you know, obviously we don't want it to go to a point to where somebody throws a chair through a window, somebody gets hurt. I mean, there are certain points, but I don't think there's anything wrong with somebody, especially with me. And I know Connor was a little bit that way. And some other guys, Chael Sona was a lot like that. Whereas that we prepared sometimes depending on who the opponent was of beating them before we ever got in a ring. Like literally just going after them and being a me, I always prepared that way because it just got me going. It's how I got into a fight. I don't know why they want to take that away. I don't know why they want to take that out of wrestling and make everybody get on the mic and say, I respect my opponent. Uh, it was a great fight. I think we all did good. And, and, and then just move on because that's going to look like every single fight. And that's the difference between the old when we were really doing it and allowing people to be their own person, as opposed to now where they're they're basically molding everybody to be this clean uh, character, this clean fighter. You go right by the rules instead of just stepping back and just bringing these guys in to fight and let them make or break themselves. Ken, you've always been in phenomenal shape. You look great right now. Uh, A successful guy in the world of mixed martial arts and professional wrestling. Whether it was in an MMA octagon or a pro wrestling ring, was there one guy that you stood across from that concerned you a little bit? Like, I know you're, uh, uh, you're a warrior, and I, I, I know you, you don't have fear in your heart or in your head, but is there that one guy that made you go, damn, 
tonight's going to be one hell of a fight. No. Um, I mean, if people knew how I grew up, how I was brought up, you know, with guns, knives, you know, getting jumped, fighting in a, in a, in a, in a ring with one guy and a, and a, obviously a, a referee in there. I mean, that's a day, that's a day off um, compared to the way that I, I kind of grew up with some of the dangers that I faced. So it, it was enjoyment. It was, it was fun to know that I was going to get paid to do something I would get arrested for. So it was really fun for me, but I will say my fear didn't come from an actual person. It came from actual injuries or the ability not to prepare properly for a fight. So when I walked into the used to be, when I walked into there, man, there was no doubt in my mind how and what I was going to do in that ring. Uh, the outcome would decide itself, but I knew what I was going to do. I knew what I wanted to do, and I knew I was going to go out there and do it. Uh, but when I got injured, my knee, uh, I broke my neck, um, shoulder replacement, all these things that started to happen early on in my career, um, that's when fear, not fear, but um, I would say a doubt came into my mind whether or not I was going to be able to go out and do what I knew I could do. Um, it wasn't a person. It was more of my abilities were deteriorating because of injuries that I had. And that created that doubt in my mind, which I did not like. You know, the last time you were on with us, it was, you know, myself and Tommy Dreamer. And we talked a lot about your pro wrestling career. And then we, you know, we're talking about the origins of the UFC and MMA, the origins of your pro wrestling career. And we mentioned Buzz Sawyer and, you know, how Buzz Sawyer, you know, how you navigated through that whole thing. How difficult was it back then? Because now it seems like, you know, there's, you know, Bully has a wrestling school. There's wrestling schools available. But how difficult was it to get into the world of pro wrestling when you first uh, first started out yeah it was it was difficult um and and i'm not going to say because there wasn't people around there were but the it seemed to be the trend was that uh they just wanted you to come in and pay your tryout fees and then you know you wouldn't pass the tryouts and they would just keep the money that way they wouldn't have to spend money on a gym or a dojo or anything like that to train people but yet these guys had names and that they would start doing these tryouts. And of course, nobody would pass after they paid their 1200 bucks or whatever it was that they paid. Um, and then they, they would lose that. And so that's what I did for Buzz. I mean, literally, I, 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 I actually went in against Buzz and I worked him over and Buzz is a stud. Anybody who knows Buzz will tell you that. Uh, but I was able to work him over pretty good. And then, of course, he kept me on and basically I came up every other weekend to do some training from Reno, Nevada to Sacramento. And uh, he would bring in these guys from all over the place and he would say, Hey, beat this guy or, or let this guy pass. And usually the guys that were passing were guys that had businesses and money. Uh, he would allow them to pass uh, because then he could actually get them to start, you know, paying fees, high fees and, and be able to do what they need to do. But uh, he would, he would get, he would tell me what to do on that. And it was funny too, because I, when I got my second at besides buzz, cause I basically worked everybody over there and it wasn't like he couldn't tell me I didn't, I didn't pass. Right. So uh, I, I ended up leaving there cause buzz ended up dying. He overeat in a bathroom at a nightclub um, while I was there. And uh, so I went and my father and myself went down to Mooresville and we did a tryout with Nelson. And of course, the fee was obviously paid. 
we weren't clued in yet on, on whether or not this is what people did. You know, I didn't know that until later on, but so we go down to do a tryout. My dad pays, I don't know. I think it was three grand or something for the tryout. And uh, so we get down there and, and they start running me the same kind of thing that, that uh, Buzz tried to do with wear people out, make them run to calisthenics. And then at the end of all of that workout, then you'd have to go in and wrestle. Uh, and so they did that with me and, and, uh, they worked me extra hard because I was going through it easy. <clears throat> and so by the time it was done, everybody was just dog tired. And so we go into the wrestling room. And so they had this kid who's probably about six, one or six, two, probably 240 pounds. Uh, I mean, he was built like buzz, right? I mean, he wasn't uh, muscular or anything like that, but just kind of big waist, you know, kind of big guy. Um, so he goes in at first two guys and he wears those guys out. They quit. Right. So he goes in against me and I'm still tired. Right. So I'm thinking to myself, I got to bring this guy into deep waters. I mean, I gotta, I gotta last long enough for him to get as tired as I am. And so we go at it he shoots and I'm defending the whole time. I'm not attacking. I'm defending. We're in about 10 minutes and he starts puffing. And then I just worked him over. And, uh, so after that, I earned my spot with Nelson and, um, I think it was probably maybe nine months or nine to 10 months later, uh, I actually uh, had my uh, first pro wrestling match with Nelson. Nelson actually booked me in a show with him and I had my first match with him. And I think probably 16 months after that, I was carrying the strap. So it went pretty fast for me. A lot of education, wow. learned a whole lot with the, the actual shooting part of the pro wrestling thing. So I, I got, I got broken quick. Ken, earlier on, you were talking about how being in the octagon and fighting another man with a referee and judges was a night off for you, and you make it sound relatively easy. So which was more taxing and grueling for you, being in an octagon training for the world of mixed martial arts and UFC or being on the road and performing 300 nights a year with the WWE? Yeah, you know, people are a little bit confused when I say this, and it's only because they've they've never, except for the people that wrestle um, or have done both, would understand what I'm saying. Um, it, it is, it's wrestling because, and I, I try to explain it so people can understand it, but when I fight, I train, you know, eight weeks, anyways, eight to 12 weeks for a fight. And then I go in and I fight. And when I go in and fight, I was very fortunate. I was pretty good at doing what I do. And I was able to finish a fight within three to five minutes. And, and, and I was off for a while. Wrestling, there's no off. I mean, it's constant road. It's constant slamming, getting punched and kicked, hitting with whatever they can pick up to hit you with, it's getting slammed, getting dropped on from the top rope. None of this stuff that people seem to say, well, the ending is predetermined. But in between that, it is not a cakewalk, man. Your body takes a beating, man. It's like being in a car wreck, you know, with your seatbelt on, you know. It's just your body's just taking tremendous amount of punishment. And uh, so I, I got hurt a lot worse in in pro wrestling than I did when I was fighting. And, and, and maybe it was just cause I was good at fighting, but my body took a lot more wear and tear in pro wrestling than it ever did when I was fighting. Do other, uh, MMA fighters 
take offense to you saying that the world of professional wrestling was more grueling for you? Well, I'm sure sure it was because, you know, when when I first made that transition, because uh, the world of MMA wasn't uh, going in the right direction at that time, when we were losing pay-per-view, wouldn't be able to get paid what we needed to, I had to go in a different direction. Um, and so I went into pro wrestling. And so I took a lot of heat, uh, a lot of heat, even I lost some guys in my gym because they, they felt like I sold out, which they, what they didn't realize was that I had to keep the fighters house up and going and take care of the fighters. I had to also take care of my gym, which I had, uh, an actual weight gym. I had a, a boxing gym, a kickboxing gym, and I had a grappling gym, which was three different buildings. And all this was for the fighters. And so I had to keep that up. Plus, I had three houses that I was making payments on. One for group home for kids, which we were taking care of. I was making the rent on that. Then the fighters house was making the rent on and then my personal home. So in order for me to keep this world that I had built up going, I had to make a certain amount of money. And I wasn't able to make that because of the deterioration of MMA at the time. Um, I had to go in a different direction. And, and luckily for me that I got called quickly uh, by events and I was able to step in and do that. But when I did that, I lost some, some, some uh, fighters who thought I sold out. Uh, I also lost some fans because they thought I sold out. Um, but in the end, it was a big risk for me because if I had to been successful at it. I wouldn't be here today. But I did that because I needed to make sure that I made enough money to be able to take care of my family, take care of my my business. Um, and that came first was my family. And so I made that move with a big risk. But it turned out well. It was successful. All those people that didn't thought I sold out or majority of them are all on board now with it. And it paved the way for a lot of other people to do the same thing now and not have to deal with what I dealt with. And that seems to be the trend now because we're seeing a lot of MMA fighters go into the world of professional wrestling. It really is. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I was able to do what I did and be successful and be able to, uh, you know, at least show the world and the, and the, and that world of fighting that, you know, once your body gets to a certain point, you know, you know how hard you can go. You know the training you need to put in. And when you can't keep doing that, it's a difficult thing for you to just retire and give up because a lot of us, including myself, are not wired just to go sit on the couch and enjoy retirement. It's just not how I'm put together and how a lot of other guys are put together. We got to always be in something. And this is just another great way, another great avenue to continue to go out there and compete, have fun and entertain the fans. Ken, what are you most proud of yourself for, whether that's in your own personal life or in the octagon or in a pro wrestling ring? When you're by yourself, when you look at yourself in the mirror, what are you saying, you know what, Ken, you did a great job with this, and I'm proud of you, buddy. Well, I would have to say the first thing would be the my journey and what I was able to do to turn my life around. Uh, you know, I've been through a lot of hard times. I mean, you look at my life, I probably lived about six or seven lives. Um, but the one thing that I'm proud of was that I didn't go down the rabbit hole. Uh, I didn't bury myself. Um, and I was able to bring myself back around several different times and be able to come out on top. 
And so that, well, I, I think that right there is my greatest accomplishment in life is to be able to turn around and tell that story, which I will someday to be able to tell that story so that other people understand that it's never, ever the end. You can always come back from anything. Awesome. And you mentioned that you're still competing, Ken. Obviously, you're in the world of impact wrestling. I can't believe you made a deal with the devil and your best friends with Sammy Callahan. We'll get into that at some point. I mean, unbelievable. But I, I, you know, from what we saw Saturday night at Victory Road, it's leading to Bound for Glory. I know Bound for Glory on October 24th is going to be a big night for you because you're going to induct it into the Impact Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's, you know, when you talk about accomplishments professionally, I think that there's no no greater accomplishment than being recognized by the fans and by your industry as you being one of the greatest. Because when you're inducted into the Hall of Fame, that's what that's basically what they're saying is that you contributed enough to be special. And so when you get into something, even in the job, you know, um, you always want to make sure, at least for me, I always want to make sure that I tried to make sure that I would be the best. I would be remembered forever. And, I, and I've said that in interviews early on in my career is I wanted to be the best. I want people to remember me forever as one of the greatest. And when you get inducted into the Hall of Fame, I think that speaks very loudly of what your accomplishments were in and out of the ring. Because you don't get into the Hall of Fame, or at least, you know, you shouldn't get in the Hall of Fame unless you contributed at a high level. Uh, in in, a, in, a, in whatever industry that you're in, and you were also um, you don't have to be an angel, but but you also very respected within the community of the fans. Ken, you, uh, we all saw that you reached out to The Rock on the old Twitter machine, asking him to induct you into the uh, TNA Hall of Fame. Are you really close with Rocky, or were you just throwing out there to see what would happen? No, you know, me and Rock ran a program together. And we have we've definitely stayed in contact uh, through social media, but his schedule and my schedule, I mean, it's not like we can go out and have coffee. We just live on two parts of the world, but I'll never forget the things that uh, he did for me. Uh, and the, the times that we spent together were special because it really did help me in my pro wrestling career. And I know he'll tell you the same thing with me and the, and the, and the things that we did, because that shot him up into stardom. Um, and it wasn't because of me. It was because of what we were able to do together uh, and be able to give ourselves a chance to be able to step away and do greater things in other places. But uh, that was a start for me and for him. And uh, he was a big part of that. So I just thought it was fitting for him to be a part of, of that induction because I believe that's where it started was with him. You know, you just said something there that I, I, you know, I was really happy to hear you say, cause I speak about this with Dave uh, all the time. And I try to enlighten fans. You said it wasn't about what you did for him and it wasn't about what he did for you. It's about what you were able to do together. I always try to explain to wrestling fans that you cannot do this on your own. You will always need somebody else to help get you over. And it sounds like you have you and Rocky have that mutual respect for one another because you were each able to take steps forward in the wrestling business based on what you learned from each other and what you were able to accomplish together. Yeah, I thought we both had a nice... Uh, stepping stone uh, working with each other to be able to put ourselves in positions to move in a direction. You know, obviously I went in a different one and he went in his way and he's been tremendously successful what he's doing. And I, right now I'm in the process of really being able to 
move into where I really, really uh, want to go. And that's being a, a promoter and an owner of a fight company, which is uh, ValorBK.com, um, which is something that we're, we've been working on for uh, a few years now. We did one show. Obviously, COVID came up. We weren't going to battle with COVID and, and, and risk our lives or other people's lives uh, by put, trying to put a show on. Um, we were a new company. We didn't have to do that. We figured we could work through our social media sites, build our different platforms. And then when this thing kind of gets, uh, we get a grip on it, which I believe we are now, um, then we'll go ahead and open up and do Valor BK again. So. Well, Ken, thank you so much for the time. Uh, congratulations on going into the Hall of Fame for Impact Wrestling. Again, that's happening at Bound for Glory uh, on the 24th of this month. Again, you're best friends with Sammy Callahan, so your judgment's not great, but you can't take <laughs> anything away from your talents. And don't forget to definitely tune in to UFC One Origins. There's going to be a big Q&A on Wednesday, October 14th with a live stream. And, of course, you can own it on Friday, October 16th on all digital platforms. Mr. Shamrock, thank you so much for the time today. We really appreciate it. Hey, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. God bless everybody. Have a great year, a finishing year in uh, 2020. Let's roll. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.